following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Turn to Psalm 5, the fifth psalm. We'll read the fifth psalm together, and then we'll pray. We'll begin our time together. We'll read all 12 verses. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask you to come work in our hearts this morning. We pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We cry out like the psalmist David, help us, O Lord, hear our cry. For we come to you as worshipers, knowing that the only one that can save us is you. Knowing that the only one who can give us strength to carry on in our days is you. I ask, Lord, for our own pride to be crushed today, that we would dwell together in humility and love. And Lord, we hear from your word so that you might change us. I pray that you'd give strength and grace to those who need it today. And pray that you would do a work in our midst. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, if we were to do this all in our own strength, Lord, our striving would be losing. We would lose. Because of Christ, we glory today in our salvation. Thank you, God, for saving us and loving us. We pray your blessing on this time in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've been with us the past uh, three Sundays before this, uh, you kind of know where we're trying to go. And you'll think it's odd that we would start in Psalm 5 for a sermon on the Lord's Supper. That's because I'm not going to preach a, a sermon on the Lord's Supper. And we're actually going to take a little bit of a break for a moment. And I think I owe it to you to kind of explain what I mean by that. All week, I've been working to prepare for the Lord's Supper. Actually, um, actually, for the past few months, working on this as a body and making sure we understand it well so that we can teach it and preach it well. And we will continue to do this. I've been working through this all week, had every intention to do this, had my notes ready to go. And uh, I just had one of those weeks, I don't know if you've had this before, where the responsibility is just all the time, nonstop heavy. 
And when things continue to come up that you weren't expecting, like I knew that this was going to be this kind of a week. We had a big elder meeting on Monday night. We had several things going on throughout the week, community group leader training. We know tonight we have the, um, the property behind us, the presentation for it to talk through that meeting tonight. And of course, preaching on the Lord's sermon, sur- Supper. But in the midst of all that, I knew if I sat down Monday, if I got my calendar out, and I just scheduled out all my time as much as I possibly could, it was possible to work these things in with the other things I needed to do with my life and get the stuff done. Um, and you know that you not only deal with like work stuff, but then you also deal with family stuff. And you also deal with your house stuff. And you also deal with all the things that happen with your children or friends or family in general. And you live in the world of who knows what will happen next, right? This was kind of one of those weeks for me. Um, and in the midst of that, I was feeling, in a sense, over and over again, crushed with the responsibility to make sure we are prepared for all these different things. Some of those things that you guys as a body have asked me to do as your pastor, as your main teaching pastor, but also just regular stuff in, my, in our life, things that we did not think were going to happen, happened this week. And I know that I'm not unique in this because I know this happens to you on like, I don't know, maybe a monthly basis. Some week comes up like this and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? And if you were here for any length of time, I was preaching to myself what I preached to us about five weeks ago about anxieties, about casting our care on him. You can ask Kristen. I was like walking around the house saying, cast my cares on you. Like I was constantly making that a repetition in a liturgy in my own life because I knew that I had the tendency to just kind of store that up in myself, whether it was frustrations with things that were happening that weren't supposed to happen and anger, or if it was fear of not getting these certain things right or the things that possibly could happen. So, I think it was a healthy place, and Kristen was good and praying for me and uh, the things that were going on. And you've probably had weeks like this where, like, I felt like I get up at 5.30 in the morning, and I just went all day until, like, 12 o'clock, fell in bed, and got up the next day in the exact same schedule, it feels like. It just felt like it was unrelenting over and over again. And I was, and in a sense, for, for this morning, I was on my way to be ready to go. Um, but at the same time in all this, so there's kind of, that's, like, one thing. I'm feeling all this stuff go on. And the responsibility to make sure as much as we can, we can offer that back to God. We've talked with, before, I've talked with some of you, like you realize the talents that God has given to you. And you realize you want to be able to live in grace in response to give those things back. And those are great things. But oftentimes I can feel like if I screw this up, it's on me. I really screw this up. I know God's given me the grace, so it must be on me that I, I screwed this thing up. And that was continuing to weigh heavy. The other thing in the midst of this whole week was I knew that I needed to continually spend time in the Word, regularly drinking and eating from God's Word so that I might know Him and spend time in prayer, asking Him to work both in my own life and my family's and your life as members here at Cornerstone. So those things were, as a good scheduler, they're blocked off in my schedule and they're getting done along the way. Uh, And all that stuff is going on and happening. And I realize, again, I don't think I'm unique in this, I'm reading the Word, I'm praying, I'm reading the Word with others, I'm praying, but I'm feeling dry and feeling like sometimes, like, does this mean anything to me? I know it does, and we have to preach the truth to ourselves, right? But oftentimes it's like, man, I just, I spent this much time in the Word and I feel like I didn't get anything out of it. And that continued, and I had the prayer that, Lord, would you make me understand and grow and would I commune with you? Um... And sometimes there's dry seasons where we do pursue and don't feel or know some of those things back, right? That happens to us. On Friday morning, got up, started the day pretty much as normal, got into my study, 
got into the Word. I read a couple different chapters of where I wanted to in Scripture and the end of Acts and a couple other places. And then in my personal Bible reading, I also was challenged to do this. It's been great to just take a small couple of verses and to work on them and meditate on them in a way, write a few thoughts out and then pray through those things so that you can try to remember those things throughout the day. This has been, for me, a wonderful joy to do that. This is what I do most days. When I got to this section, I was, I'd already been working through Psalm 5 along the way, and I got to the last two verses on Friday morning. And I don't know how to describe it other than to say it was um, exactly what I needed. It was a refreshing for my soul. It was the truth that I'd, I'm, I'm sure I've read it 15, 20 times over my life. I'm sure I have. But it was a blessing to me in the midst of all that was going on. And in that time, there was sweet communion with God. And I began to pray for others, the elders in this way, and some of the people that I regularly have contact with, my family. And it led me, if you know what I mean, sometimes when you meditate on the word, it leads you to other places in scripture, right? So I was reading in John 15, and Caleb always remembers, reminds us to be connected with the vine. And he goes to John 15 as Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. In that same passage is this call, though, to ask anything in my name, and I will give it to you. And I thought, what can more do I want for our people than to grow in Christ? And so I kind of had plenty to do that day, but I, I took the next hour, hour and a half, and I took our membership directory, and I just went through each family praying for completeness and wholeness in Christ, for faith and grace in your lives, and that you would know some of these truths that we're going to talk about here in the end of Psalm 5, and know the grace that he has given to us as he is our refuge. So this is all still intro, right? Uh, in all of that, I'm like, man, I wish that I could just like pull up with some of my, one of the, some of our brothers and sisters and say some of these things to them. They're so good. Like this is really, I know this would be helpful because it's helpful for me as, as, just, just as, a, as a Christian. And I, I felt that as I would pray as another person and I'd pray another person. And along the way, I'm like, I kind of do have a platform to do that on Sunday mornings, like every week actually. And so I, I asked the Lord, in a sense, just prayed, would this be a good opportunity to, to step out of what we're doing, and take a break to just share as a brother what's going on in my own heart, to share what's going on to hopefully be a blessing to you, as I am very much eating from Psalm 5 and tasting that the Lord is good. And so today, my goal is not to teach on the Lord's Supper, although we'll do that. I'm excited about that. Next week, John Sweeney's going to be preaching, and one of our elders excited about that. The week after that, we'll come back and work on the Lord's Supper together. But this week, I just kind of want to take off like the sermonizing hat for a moment and come up next to you as a brother and say, look at these truths and who God is. Now, I'm not going to be able to help myself. I'm still going to get excited about the truth here. But I'm going to do my best to kind of just say, this is what God has been working on in my own heart. I ended up, because it was such a significant change, and I was already prepared for the other stuff, I called all the elders and like, what do you guys think about this? Is this a, is a good idea? Am I going off the deep end to share this? And each of them prayerfully said, no, we think this is right and we want to hear the word. So preach what you think is right from the text and be faithful. So here we are. Um, we're going to do this then. I want to camp out in 11 and 12 at the end because this is what was such refreshing to me. But we've got to get there. It's not really fair to just rip these out of context. So I'm going to walk us through the first couple verses together. So when we get to verses 11 and 12, we'll see them in context properly. This is a prayer. Psalm 5 is the third of three, or actually of more than that, but morning prayers that David is praying for help. If you look at Psalm 3, you see kind of the heading there. It says, save me, O God. 
If you look top of four, it's answer me when I call. And then here we are in chapter five, and the first verse says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. He goes on, Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. He is coming to God saying strangely, Hey, I'm praying that you would hear my prayers. Like he is regularly praying already, but he's saying, please give ear to what I'm saying to you. I want you to hear me, God. My words that I'm speaking in prayer, consider, look at this word, my groaning. Now, I think you probably do understand this. It's like this sigh, this struggle, like something happens, you're like, oh, Lord, help me to get through this. Or sometimes you don't even verbalize it, but this is in faith. It's almost like a a holy, faithful groaning to the Lord and request for your need for him to help you. Um, we sang the other night as a community group, uh, uh, Lord, I need you. And I said to some of the guys, I said, I feel like this is my prayer, of like a quick, easy prayer that I pray often because I need my God to answer me because I just can't do all that he has called me to do. I can't. It's impossible for me to do it. I know my own sin and struggle and just my inabilities too. And here we have David saying, give ear to my words, consider my groaning. My, almost my inability to do anything about this. You're the king. Look at how he says that. You're my king and my God. I'm submitted to you as king, but I have a right to ask you. I'm the creature. You're the creator. I'm the subject in the kingdom. You're the king. I'm coming to you to ask you to do your part, to be the God that you said you are. And in that, he's not being disrespectful. He's asking based on his knowledge of who God is. And he's saying, this is who you are. I'm coming to you asking. He says, I've done this in prayer. And then look at verse 3. O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. He says, in the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. In other words, he's coming to God on God's terms, sacrificing properly, asking God to bless and say, please, Lord, hear my cry because I need you. Most likely, this fifth psalm is very much like the fourth and the third, which are actually, he is calling on God to help him because he's running away from his son Absalom who wants to kill him and take the throne. And it's very real. He needs God's protection and he needs him to strengthen him and be able to move him through the places that he's supposed to be as king. And so this call in prayer is very real and very much based on the fact that God is God and that David is actually his child or one that's a kingdom, a citizen of his kingdom. So that's how he first does this. And you see here, verses one through three, there's five stanzas. You know, think about a song, right? You have the five stanzas. The first is one through three. The second verse is four through six. The third verse is seven and eight. The fourth one is nine and 10. And the last one is 11 through 12. And each of them kind of break up like that. And he goes back and forth. This first one, he's talking about his relationship with God. But as we turn to the next one, you're gonna see he's gonna begin discussing God's relationship with the wicked people. He's going to talk about their, how they interact with one another. Because what he's going to do is, again, is come back to him and God and his people and what kind of a difference there is there. So look at verse 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Like, we understand Those that are, let's see here, those that are wicked, evil, boastful, pride speaking out for your own self, evildoers, liars, and those that are bloodthirsty and violent for their own gain and deceitful, 
think about how God interacts with them. Look at this. It's not like he's okay with them and he's like, oh, you come to the judgment and then we'll talk about it. Look at how he interacts with them. God does not delight in wickedness. He can't have evil dwell with him. The next one, the boastful shall not stand before his eyes. God's eyes cannot even look upon them. He hates, that's a strong word, he hates evildoers and he destroys those who speak lies. This last one is really strong again. The Lord abhors this strong hatred for those who are bloodthirsty and deceitful. David's saying, I'm coming to you pleading and these other ones, they're deceitful and full of wickedness and lies and bloodthirstiness. Please, Lord, hear my cry. I know you don't listen to those people, but I'm not like those people. I'm different. Now, you and me, we would think then the contrast, right, is like, okay, if, if that's who these evil people are, you'd come back and contrast yourself as being one who is righteous, one who does not speak lies, one who does all the, the right things in one sense. That's not what David does at all. Look at the next stanza. So he's going to say, but I, something now about me, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. The way he makes himself different from these ones over here is not by all his good works. It's not by here, I'm not evil, I'm not this, I'm not that. Instead, he says, I am a worshiper. That's what's different about me. I come and submit myself on your terms to your temple doing what you tell me to do. And I come, listen to this, in the fear of who you are. I know who you are, and I am different than these guys, not because I'm so much better, but rather because I submit to your lordship. You're my king and my God. I come before you in this way. I will be one who enters your house. I'll be one who bows down toward your holy temple in fear of you. The difference, again, is not that they're somehow way better. David isn't way better. We actually know David's history. He's not that great of a guy. He does some wickedness for sure. What David relies on is the fact that he has submitted himself in repentance and faith to his God. Now, lest we think that David or us, together we, were somehow good enough to bring ourselves to enter into worship and to, oh, I, I was smart enough to figure out to come and worship God, look what he says how he does this. He puts it at the front of the sentence, so there's no mistaking what's going on here. Verse 7, but I through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. He can't do this except for the initiating, electing love of God that has cast his love on David and Israel. We know this is true, right? We already knew this from Egypt. He didn't rescue them from Egypt because they were so great. He didn't call Abraham because Abraham was such an awesome guy. He called them because he desired to set his love on them. The same is true here. David has no grounds at all to call himself righteous except for the steadfast love of the Lord and the abundance, actually, the abundance of your steadfast love. And in the midst of comparing himself with all these evildoers as being a righteous person, he can't even help himself but ask the Lord to continue to keep him there. Listen, listen to verse 8. He's, again, he's, he's saying, like, these are the bad guys. This is me who is righteous. You're the one with the abundance of your steadfast love has had me come and be a worshiper. But he can't even help himself. He's like, Lord, I need you. Lord, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. He says, I know I'm righteous, 
but it's not like somehow I had this one thing and I'm done. I need you right now to follow it and love and just, in a sense, walk alongside of you as one who is righteous. How do I prepare the path before me? How do you and I know how it's supposed to go? He says, Lord, you have to lead me. His whole posture is actually one of faith and trusting this God to lead him through this whole thing. It wasn't as though this one thing happened back here, this date, I turned to Christ on this date and everything else is fine. He asks the Lord to lead him in righteousness in these paths that he would make those straight before him. And so in reliance on God, he compares himself to the wicked. But now he's going to come back and say, no, I only found this way because of your steadfast love. He's going to compare one more time though and go back. Look at the wicked. Verse 9, for there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. If you didn't get it straight, these guys are bad dudes. They hate God. They're full of destruction, hatred, evil, and they will go down to death. They flatter with their tongue. They say things that aren't true. They're continually doing works of unrighteousness. But that's not enough. David now will make it more ultimate, more serious in verse 10. He says, now he's asking God to do something, right? Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. You and I don't like this very much, if we're honest with ourselves. I don't. I'm a little fearful about this kind of a God who David says, hey, cast these guys out because of their transgressions. Judge them. Make them bear their guilt. Does that sound familiar from our gospel message? David is looking back to Exodus 34, 6, and 7, and he knows, however, the grace, the steadfast love of the Lord, he does not forget that one haunting line, that the Lord cannot clear the guilty. And so much so that he asks for justice here. He knows who God is. He's declared this before. But in this moment, he says, Lord, be just. I have come as a worshiper to you. And I know I don't have any right of my own, but because you are God and you cannot be thwarted in all your righteousness, I need you to be just and to put all my persecutors and oppressors away from me. Cast them out because of their transgression. But notice that it's not just sins that the transgressors have done. It is grounded here in that last phrase, for they have rebelled against you. We have to get serious about what all sin is. I don't care if you've lied, committed adultery, are proud, feared, <laughs> if you have been hateful. I don't care what the sin is. We may think that somehow it happens over in a vacuum. It doesn't affect anyone. And as long as it doesn't hurt someone, we're fine. The problem is we don't believe this to be true about God, that we have rebelled. Every time we commit a sin, we've rebelled against the holy and perfect law of God who made us and made us to actually submit to his lordship. And so when we act in this way, we rebel against God. These people here that he's describing are all the people that decide, no, I'm not going to worship God. I'm not going to submit to him as the king. He's not my God and my king. I do what I want to do. I listen, as it says there, to my own counsels. I won't have wisdom. I don't want to fear the Lord. Why would I do that? I do it my own way. And David calls on these people the judgment of God. He 
He says there, make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. They have rebelled against you. When we get to verse 11, he turns back to talk about his own relationship with God, but then also to talk about the righteous ones, those that are joined in this community, this covenant community before God, who know this God. And he starts to talk about that relationship. The wicked, this is what ought to happen to them. But us, what about us? Those who love Christ, those who are committed and by faith trust him alone. Look what David asks for. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection, Lord, over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. When I got to these verses, um, this is like, this is like the, the frosting. If you like cupcakes and you like the frosting best like I do, this is the frosting. This is like all the best delicious stuff here at the end. We're getting it. Let those who take refuge in you rejoice. David's point to a reality because his whole prayer is like this, right? His whole prayer is based on the fact that he knows that God is sure and steady and able to come into his life and change his circumstances, provide him with protection, shield him from problems, make sure that his enemies won't destroy him before his time is up. He knows it's true about God. He knows that God is like this, and so he is actually praying, assuming that it's true, knowing that God is this refuge. So let's just take off and just for a minute here, step out and say, man, look who God is. Knowing the difficulty of our own schedules, knowing the stuff that's going on in our lives, whether it's with family or at work or your own heart and mind, the deepness of aloneness or depression or struggles, whatever they may be, our God is a refuge for those that hide in him. And he does provide protection and he spreads his protection out over us. He is a rock or a refuge for us. And we may not think that God protects us very much from those that are around us or the bad stuff that happens to us in our lives. People still get cancer, right? Stuff still happens to Christians. But if we were just honest for a moment about the extreme wickedness that's in our world that we do not see, that God at all has restrained it and held it back from as bad as it could be is an amount of amazing common grace that he has given to us and not allowed wickedness to run rampant. That is God's grace to us and continues to protect us from that. And his own, those who love and trust Christ, his own, he protects, he cares for and loves and holds and will not allow something to happen to them before it is time that he says it will happen. And he is a protector. And he is one who gives protection to the point that he's even a shield over them. You'll see that in the last one. You bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. But I don't know if you're like me. When we start thinking through the rest of the psalm about the bad people, the wicked people, a lot of the stuff that characterizes them hits a little close to home for me. I, I, I oftentimes, at least in my own heart, can be deceitful. I oftentimes speak lies, whether it's to others or to myself. I generally, generally struggle with wickedness and sin. Um, I don't like to admit that. I know my own past life and the sins that I try by God's grace to mortify each day. Unfortunately, though, this looks a lot like me. And I want to throw this out there. We often fear what's external to us, right? Like, whether it's failure and becoming an, like, 
terribly looking stupid in front of you, all of your colleagues perhaps at work or dropping the ball or actually having someone persecute you or maybe sickness and disease and problems and all that stuff, all these externals that are truly hard. And we often fear or have anxiety about those things. I want us to consider for a moment though that David's words in verse 10 really ought to be for us. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, Lord, you should cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Every one of us have been in rebellion against our Savior, our God and King and Creator. And if we're honest, we shouldn't be too concerned about those that can harm our reputation or our body. Because Jesus says in, in Matthew Right? He says Matthew 28, 10, I think it is, where he says, don't worry about those that can hurt your body. Worry about the one who can destroy your body and your soul in hell. There's someone that's far more important here, that he will judge you if you do not find rest in him. And so what we actually come to is that we realize that we not just don't need cover from the things that are around us, the evil one, wickedness of other people, circumstances, the curse, We need cover and shelter from God's wrath on us. Because like it or not, guys, we are rebellious to the core. And we love ourselves and we were born in sin. No No one started out as a blank slate. No one started out as innocent. No one started out as good. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that we came out shaking our fist at God, not wanting him at all. We acted and still act oftentimes in rebellion against our king. And so what we need, what we need, the wrath of God not poured out on us, we need someone to shield us from the wrath of God, someone to cover us, someone that would actually be our refuge, that we can climb inside and not have the wrath of God poured out on us. Being post-Christ gives us the answer to this problem. We know There is one that we flee to, to be our refuge, who has taken every bit of the punishment, what I deserve, and has shielded me from the wrath of God. It's Jesus. If we believe the truth that God put all of the wrath of God on Jesus on the cross, we understand that he is our refuge. That over top of us is not some like promise that hopefully it'll be all right, and like that God will just put it away, that he will not somehow deal with the guilty. Oh, he dealt with the guilty ones. And it's through the substitutionary atonement that he punished Christ instead of you and me. And he gave us instead the righteousness that we do not deserve. And now, consider that as I read verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them. May Jesus Christ, in other words, be over them. Protect your people. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. We don't talk, uh, this, this, these two words get thrown around a lot in our, in our modern Christian culture. To be blessed or to have favor. And when we think about those things, oftentimes they get connected with material blessings, money, uh, power, or maybe some, some being noticed, or having success in business. Like, I have had favor in this way or that way, or I'm blessed in these ways. 
The problem with that is it doesn't fit at all with this context. David doesn't have extreme amounts of money or somehow has been favored greatly so that everyone around him loves him and no one's trying to hurt him. He's probably running from cave to cave, running away from his son Absalom, hoping that he won't be killed. That's the context that he says, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You're blessing me right now. You cover him with favor as with a shield. You protect, you love, and you bless the righteous. And we know that's not because we were so great, but rather going back to verse 7, this has been done through the abundance of his steadfast love. So from beginning to ongoing to the end, it is all of his absolute love and grace that we would know protection and refuge. So let's ask the question again about my week, about your weeks. Uh, What is it that you need protection and refuge from? And as we consider that, we know who the protector is. We know the one who spreads his protection over us, who is for us a shield. It is for us, those who have loved and trusted, repented of their sins, and trust Christ alone as their king, have true protection in Christ. And therefore, (laughs) we can't kind of help it, right? When we think about that truth, that the wrath of God should be poured out on us for our sin, and Jesus stood there and took all of it, you can't help but smile and, and rejoice and exult in God, knowing who he is and what he's done and what you and I so much deserve, and yet he shielded us from that. Man, what a good refuge that God is. We flee to him because he's the only one that can protect us against the wrath of God. And therefore, he's the just still, but the justifier, shielding us from the wrath of God. In love, in steadfast love, and in his mercy, he has made a way so that we might know peace. That's who his body is. Those who understand this truth and come to him for refuge. So we cry out, we still ought to. We ought to cry out for health and, 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 and praying for others to get hurt or maybe safety in a tra- travel or journey or success in our endeavors. Those are right things because God does care about those. And he does provide things as refuge and protection against bad things that happen here. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he chooses to do other things. But our confidence is not grounded in what we see here. Sometimes he decides to act in those ways. But sometimes he chooses to help us understand that we must trust him, the true refuge of our soul. The one who actually protects both our body, yes, but more importantly, our soul. And he will take care of us till the end. And thus we sing songs like, he will hold me fast. We understand that it wasn't because we held so tightly on to God that we were able to do it. But rather in his great love and grace, He protected us. So I want to encourage you, as the weeks get harder and things go, especially during the upcoming ones, I know that everyone just gets busy with so many different things, and bad things will happen, whether cars break down or kids get in trouble at school or things happen bad at work. Can you remember with me together and remind me too that we have a refuge, the one who protects us, And although we may have things that happen bad, we need to sort them out and continue to work and trust God and walk in obedience that ultimately we have a true refuge and strength in God himself. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our refuge and strength, 
our protection, our cover, and our shield. Lord, I, I feel like it's not appropriate sometimes to call myself a righteous one, but only because you say that it's true and the work you did at the cross can that happen. And therefore, I rejoice to say I am a righteous one because of Jesus. I rejoice because you've made a refuge over me so that I did not have to bear the wrath for my own sin. I rejoice and sing for joy, God, because you've protected me. And as the body together, we join in thankfulness and joy in what you have done for your blood-bought body. I pray today that we would respond in faith and obedience. And God, that we would find joy in all that you've done as our protector. In Jesus' name we pray.